0: You are listening to As a Woman, episode 124, Ovulation. I am answering all your ovulation questions. Welcome to As A Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi friends, welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. I am so excited to sit here and talk to you today about ovulation. This is one of my favorite topics. I've done research on this and fellowship, and I really think it's important that we understand our bodies and what happens each cycle. So let's dive in. But first, I want you to know I have a lot of individual videos on this on YouTube. So if you're a visual person, you should go check it out. And this episode is going to cover both basic overview of the menstrual cycle, methods of fertility awareness monitoring, or FAM, what they mean, how you detect ovulation, and number three, answering some of your ovulation questions. One thing I know, and the studies support, is that if you track your cycles in some form or fashion, you try to detect ovulation, you have a higher chance of getting pregnant than if you don't. So this is really important if you're trying to optimize your fecundability or your chance of getting pregnant per month. Inside the ovary, I like to think about a vault where all your eggs are kept. At the start of a month, a group of eggs comes out of the vault. Each egg is microscopic but grows inside a small fluid-filled structure called a follicle. The brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. The brain and ovaries are best friends, and so this is just the right amount of FSH to get one egg to start growing. As that egg grows, it makes estrogen, and the follicle gets bigger. When you have high estrogen levels, the lining of the uterus is optimized for implantation, but it also triggers the brain to send out a surge of the other hormone called LH. LH is luteinizing hormone. This allows the follicle to rupture, the egg to be released and hopefully picked up by a fallopian tube, and then the follicle reforms and becomes a cyst called a corpus luteum. This cyst then makes progesterone, which is stimulated in pulses from LH from the brain. The corpus luteum can only live around 12 to 14 days And so if there's no stimulation to save it, which is HCG, the hormone made from an implanting pregnancy, then the corpus luteum will die, progesterone production will stop, and you will get a period, which is essentially shutting of the lining induced by a drop in progesterone. If you're pregnant, that HCG hormone then stimulates a more constant progesterone exposure and the pregnancy continues and the corpus luteum lives on until the placenta is fully grown in around nine-ish weeks. That is the menstrual cycle in its shortest, shortest fashion. When we talk about fertility awareness methods or monitoring, there's different ways that you can check to see if you're ovulating. Number one, if you have regular predictable cycles, they come every 27, every 28 days, you are ovulating. That is the number one sign that you are ovulating. Can you have a period if you're not ovulating? Yes and no. It's not always a real period. Sometimes that lining of the uterus can just overflow. I like to think of the analogy of a cup just constantly gets stimulated by low dose of estrogen like a dripping faucet. Eventually the cup will overflow. And you can have irregular ovulation, specifically with things like PCOS, where one month you may respond, one month you may not. It might take a long duration of FSH to get response. And so Those are circumstances where it is hard to detect or we are not sure if you're ovulating. But a regular, predictable period, you're ovulating. This leads us to the calendar method. Long, long before, there were apps, which I'm old enough that I remember people coming in with their actual calendar or with printed out sheets for BBT and other stuff. But the calendar method is simply a mathematical equation. So let's remember that. What the equation does is it takes the length of your cycle, subtracts 14 days, which is an average length of time from ovulation until the period starts, if the corpus luteum lives a normal amount of time. So you would say, if my cycle is 27 days, 27 minus 14 equals 13, your calendar or your app, which uses the same math, would tell you day 13 is the day that you're going to ovulate. Now the fertile window is typically regarded as five days ending in ovulation. And so day 13 would be that end day. And so the days preceding that would be your fertile window. And that is how the app would tell you your most fertile days. These are the days leading up to ovulation. This is your ovulation day. used to do that on paper. Now it can be done with an app. However, the app is just a mathematical calculation. And if your periods vary in length, it tries to account for that. taking an average length of your luteal phase, which may be very unreliable. So if your periods are irregular, calendar method does not work for you. Other things to be aware of is that not everybody has a perfectly set luteal phase. So sometimes you can have some symptoms of ovulation. Most notably can be something called middle schmerz, which is a lovely word, middle of the cycle. It is a cramping pain when you ovulate. So some people can feel there's ovulation. And I have patients who will say, I don't track. I know exactly when I ovulate because I can feel it. So if you feel your ovulation, yet you have the calendar telling you you ovulate on a different day, I would not trust the calendar. I would trust your body. Another symptom is cervical mucus. And this is also another tracking method called cervical mucus monitoring. The idea here is that not just vaginal discharge. Don't think about it that way. Think about the mucus inside the cervix. This is a little barrier that's supposed to prohibit sperm from coming in or make it easier. Think about it as the guardian to the uterus. So the cervical mucus changes based on estrogen exposure. So as your body sees more constant estrogen, it changes. And your type 4 cervical mucus is the classic type consistent with the day of ovulation and it is sticky and egg white so how you check this is you take two fingers put them inside grab some cervical mucus from the top of your vagina right near your cervix pull it out stretch your fingers if it's sticky and stretchy like an egg white ta-da! that's your day four that's your ovulation day that's the day to go have intercourse if it is not then that's not your day and you should keep checking So similarly, if you get type 4 cervical mucus and your calendar is telling you you ovulate on a different day, would not believe the calendar or the app, would believe your body, would believe your cervical mucus. When you're trying to track your cycles and you're using cervical mucus, well, one, that's cheap and easy. It doesn't cost any money. Number two, highly accurate. Number three, target the day you get that type 4 That's the day to have intercourse. That's the one day of the biggest bang for your buck. Another method to check for ovulation is OPKs or ovulation predictor kits. These are my personal favorite, but I think they just fit with my personality. I've also done studies using these, so I'm biased. So here's my own bias that I like these a lot because I think it's fast and it's easy. An ovulation predictor kit is a test that checks your urine for the hormone LH. Remember that LH is released from the brain in a very high surge before ovulation. It is causing the follicle to rupture, allowing the egg to be released. Therefore, the positive OPK is the day before you ovulate. One of the reasons why I like these so much is it's predictive. It is giving you the day before and the day that you're supposed to ovulate. So two days to have intercourse that are the two highest yield days that there are because sperm can live in the female reproductive tract longer than just a day. So I love these options. And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Thank you, Quince. Now, some issues, etc., and just thoughts about checking them. Number one, LH is released from the brain typically in the early morning hours. Therefore, if you check your OPK before you go to work first thing, it may not register yet, even though you truly are starting to surge. So I recommend patients check these in the middle of the day between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., that way you get an accurate representation because a hormone released from the brain has to go through your blood, filtered through your kidneys to be in your urine. We're not doing a blood test here. So check a little bit later in the day. Number two, the first day you get a positive is the only day that matters. I'm going to say that again. The first day you get a positive, only day that matters. Because what is happening, your body makes almost no LH in the follicular phase, starts to rise with a surge, and then it is going to pulse all throughout the luteal phase. So you're trying to capture that first surge because you're trying to detect ovulation. Must take them every day, around the same time every day, in order to capture it. And once you get a positive, stop wasting your own money. We know it's going to be alternating positive and negative throughout the whole luteal phase based on the pulses from the brain. So after you get the first one, not helpful anymore. I also happen to like the digital options because you're not staring at a line. If you buy the cheapo ones, that is absolutely fine, but then you need a line that is at least as dark if not darker than the control. If you get a digital, it'll tell you ovulating, not ovulating, and to me, I like those. There are fancier digitals that are trying to detect your estrogen level as it raises, giving you more of the predictive window those five days before ovulation. So if you buy an ovulation test that gives you a fertile window and then a peak, they're detecting different hormones. So that's just important to realize. And people with PCOS hate those tests because they tend to have higher estrogen levels and they will classically get high fertility and not peak fertility and they are frustrating. So FYI, I like the digital two option, ovulating, not ovulating. Then we have basal body temperature. Y'all, basal body temperature was so old school that we disregarded it once OBKs came around, once people got more comfortable with their bodies, checking cervical mucus. We were like, there's no reason for this. And FemTech has brought it back. Like it is having a resurgence and I'm not 100% sure why. But it exists and there are so many products you can buy and spend a decent amount of money purely to check your temperature. But let's understand it. The premise behind this testing is that after you ovulate, your progesterone will rise. Well, that makes sense because the corpus luteum is making progesterone, right? Once you ovulate, cyst reforms, now is a corpus luteum, now makes progesterone. Progesterone causes an increase in your basal or your underlying body temperature. So we have higher temperature in our luteal phase than we do in our follicular phase. And so BBT was a way to monitor and detect this temperature. Originally was a certain type of thermometer, had to be checked first thing in the morning before you get out of bed. And you would use this graph paper. Do you remember graph paper? And people would plot their temperature and you would see a rise. And all it confirms is that you did in fact ovulate. It is not predictive, meaning once you get a rise in your temp, It's too late to have sex. Like, the moment has passed. And if you're having regular predictable periods and you're getting type 4 cervical mucus or you're getting a positive OPK, I'm not sure why obsessing over your temperature is helping you. I'm being honest here. Now, some people like the confirmation and that's what this is all about. But again, it's not telling you anything about the strength of ovulation by the level of the rise of the progesterone. And it is very hard So when somebody says, I don't consistently get a BBT, but they have everything else, I don't sit here and believe that they didn't ovulate or that they didn't ovulate well. The test doesn't help me like it does if somebody says, my OPKs aren't consistently positive. So I don't love BBT, but if you just want to confirm that you ovulate, go for it. But understand, once you get the rise, ship has sailed. Next up, luteal progesterone. Same thing. This is after the fact. We are trying to confirm that you ovulated, and the test must be done well, and there is no level, there is no merit to certain levels of progesterone being better than others. I do have a podcast episode and a video on luteal phase, and go watch those if this topic confuses you. But the idea, because the brain sends out LH impulses, stimulating a corpus luteum to release progesterone in pulses in the luteal phase, we know that progesterone is going to vary based on the time of exposure to the pulse. And so a level of three nanograms per milliliter or more, so in the follicular phase, progesterone is low, like point something. If it's three or higher in the luteal phase, ta-da, you ovulated. And it can range between like three and 40. And a level of 15 is not better than three. It does not matter they are the same. Let's remember that the luteal phase is the time after you ovulate before you get pregnant. Once you get pregnant, the HCG is stimulating the corpus luteum to make more constant progesterone. You have a positive pregnancy test at that time, and everything is different. Studies have supported that progesterone levels in early pregnancy may be predictive of outcome of success of the pregnancy. That is not translatable into the luteal phase. You do not have a constant stimulation of your corpus luteum, nor would we expect there to be. So if you're going to your doctor to get a day 21 progesterone, that is something people do to try to confirm if you ovulated, typically in the context of someone who does not ovulate, who is getting ovulation induction medication like Clomid or Letrozole and is not being monitored by ultrasound. Day 21, is supposed to represent a mid-luteal phase. So if you have day 37 day cycles, you should be checking it on day 30, not day 21. You wanna check that test about a week after you ovulate. And as long as it is three or higher, ta-da, you ovulated. Again, this is after the fact. Similarly, there are now other tests you can buy to check your progesterone in the luteal phase, like at-home direct-to-consumer tests, Why? There are not certain levels that are really better than the other one. And if you've detected your ovulation, if you had a positive OPK, if you had a positive type 4 cervical mucus, why are we obsessing over the level of progesterone in the luteal phase? It is going to vary completely based on timing of the LH pulses from the brain. Okay, so that is the basic overview of calendar method, apps, OPK, cervical mucus, progesterone levels, and BBT. Again, none are right or wrong, but I want you to understand what you're checking because there's so many myths that come about. So I have been sent a list of questions and I just wanna answer some of them. These are common misconceptions or things that are commonly repeated as truths, which in fact are not or are misinterpreted. So number one, anovulatory cycles are common and happen all the time. False. Most people ovulate and they have regular predictable periods. If your period is regular, you ovulated. Is everybody allowed an anovulatory cycle sometimes, like a one-off? Sure, if you got really sick or were very stressed out, that may have led to your brain not secreting out FSH or LH at the appropriate time. But they do not happen all the time and they should happen in the minority. If your periods are not regular and predictable and they're coming all over the place, you should talk to your OB-GYN or your PCP or a fertility doctor. That's not normal. A one-off inovulatory cycle out of years, I had this one month that's wacky, no big deal. If you have multiple wacky months, totally not normal. Number two, if your BBT doesn't rise, you don't ovulate false. Again, a lot of things can regulate the temperature of the body and this is a hard thing to determine and why most of your fertility doctors do not give a second glance to BBT because it is an imperfect test. In fact, your temperature only rises by about 0.5 or 0.6 degrees. That is a teeny little change and that can be easy to miss. Okay, what about checking positive pregnancy tests? When can you get a positive? So, Here's a myth. You cannot get a positive HCG at 8 to 9 days post-ovulation. At the same time, if you go in at 12, it's too late and it's likely to miscarry. First of all, it depends how well you actually checked your cycles, but let me just give you some context here. We use averages all the time, but people perform above and below averages and so do embryos. In general, embryos implant about seven to nine days after ovulation. The embryo doesn't even fully exist before that. So if ovulation is when an egg is released, if fertilization happens the next day or within 24 hours, then the embryo has to get to a blastocyst stage, which is five or six days along before it can start to implant. So we generally regard days like seven, eight, nine as the earliest you can get a positive HCG because it has to be made from the pregnancy and then absorbed into your blood and then filtered through your kidneys and then you pee it out. Now, day 12, can is that too late? Not necessarily because every embryo is different and implantation is an imperfect process. To have perspective, I've had embryos that I have put in somebody's body on day five, knowing well and good it is ready to implant right away. And when they've come in nine days later on essentially what would be 14 days after ovulation, and they've had an HCG level of 7, or 10, or 11. Those are low. Average levels would be closer to 100 to 200. Those little 7, 10s, or 11s would have been a negative urine pregnancy test since most of them detect levels around 20. However, in those three cases, there are live-born normal babies. So I want you to have some context that can you have a very normal baby that starts to have HCG a little bit later? Absolutely. This one gets me. You have to do OPKs your entire cycle because LH will rise throughout your cycle, especially as you've conceived. Again, LH pulses. You'll get positive and negatives throughout. The reason why some people can get a positive OPK, which is detecting LH, when in fact they're pregnant and they have tons of HCG, is that HCG and LH are very similar in their receptor status and high, high levels of HCG can cause an OPK to turn positive. So it is not that it has anything to do with LH being important at that time because LH is no longer stimulating that corpus luteum, the HCG is. Number next, you have to buy progesterone strips and do those tests after ovulation to make sure you ovulated. I think I already covered this well. I think those progesterone strips are not worth it. Again, level of progesterone in the luteal phase doesn't mean anything as long as there's any progesterone you ovulated and there is easier ways to know that you have progesterone around than checking urine strips throughout the entire luteal phase. And the last one is that you must take hormones like progesterone to lengthen your LH peak if it's too short or your luteal phase if it's too short. The luteal phase is an essential time. That is when implantation happens. I completely agree. I've done research in the luteal phase. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's highly important. I want you to view luteal phase defect as on the spectrum of an ovulation disorder, meaning the luteal phase or the corpus luteum is not the problem in itself and giving it progesterone tends to be more of a band-aid, meaning if you ovulate better, a better follicle, it will have a better base or foundation to make better progesterone. So most of us treat luteal phase deficiency with ovulation induction medications. Now progesterone can have a role in early pregnancy loss, which means if you've lost pregnancies, there may be circumstances where progesterone supplementation is beneficial And in these cases, it is most beneficial when started after ovulation. So some people do need progesterone supplementation, but it is usually on the basis of chemical or miscarriages versus a short luteal phase. I usually do both because it's easy. If you have a luteal phase defect, you can treat with ovulation induction medications and you can give progesterone after ovulation, therefore you're covering everything. It's not wrong just to do one, but I would prefer you use ovulation induction meds treat the problem versus just giving progesterone as a band-aid also you need an evaluation for why your luteal phase is short is there a thyroid issue is there a prolactin issue is there any other hormone imbalance are you stressed? what is happening that might be contributing or is this just how your body ovulates and something that is on the spectrum of ovulation disorder I have a YouTube video called luteal phase defect it is very good on going into this topic if you want to get more I encourage you to go check it out. Thank you guys so much. I hope this answered some common questions about ovulation and helped you understand more about tracking your cycle. As always, I appreciate your love and support. Every review means so much to me. Please feel free to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD. And thank you so much.